Welcome to After All, the cross-generational podcast dedicated to discovering and rediscovering the social, political, and personal impact of The Mary Tyler Moore Show. I'm your host, Ariel Fisher. And I'm your co-host, Sylvia McCann. And welcome to the show, guys. This week, we are on episode 12, discussing Anchorman Overboard. Mary reluctantly arranges for Ted to speak at Phyllis's Women's Club, and we know exactly why she did this reluctantly now. Well, this was an interesting episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, holy shit, men are fragile. <laughs> what else is new? Uh, right? Yes. But like, wow, men are fucking fragile. And this was a whole constellation <clears throat> of fragile men for different reasons. Ted yes. being the star fragile man. Yes, he is the most delicate of snowflakes. Oh, man. It's... Like it's infuriating. It's, it's completely infuriating. Yes, it is. So the whole episode starts off with an equally infuriating situation wherein Mary is running late for work and she's getting ready and she's in a rush. And Phyllis strolls in first thing in the morning, full face of makeup, yeah. still in her house coat, uh, saying that she needs a favor from Mary. Mary's like, well, I can't talk. I've got to go to work. Well, this doesn't matter. A wink to Phyllis. She has things to say and that takes precedence. So she burdens Mary with her time and then she winds up being late and oh you can make me a cup of coffee and I'll tell you all about it Ugh. okay fine so she's telling her that she needs to get a speaker for her women's club that evening and she wants Mary to ask Ted Baxter and <clears throat> the other tidbit is because the speaker they had lined up right bailed because he was a book, uh, he was an author, a psychiatrist who wrote a book about sex. Yes, like but was uncomfortable with women, so he backed out. So he bailed. Exactly. So there's <laughs> fun little thing number one right there. Yeah. And then Mary's trying to warn her, saying, you know, Ted's not really very good at speaking. Well, he does the news all the time. Yeah, but still... It's written for him. Exactly. He has no original thought whatsoever. None. Literally not a one. No. So she caves and says, okay, fine. We'll We'll get him to do a thing. That's perfectly okay. And won't give Mary a ride to... Phyllis is awful. Phyllis is manipulative in such a flippant kind of way that... You don't realize it. You realize it at the time, but you realize it even more after she walks out the door. Yes. And Mary's standing there scratching her head going, what just happened? Yeah. And it happens every time she's on screen for more than like five seconds. <clears throat> and oh, you yeah. think, wow, she's like, she's really good at this in the most awful way. Yeah. How do you get away with this shit? How do you get away with this shit? Like she, she doesn't work. She, she's, which? I don't know. And she has a daughter who kind of, resents her yeah, well, I can't imagine see, why and we never see her husband no the fictitious Lars yes 
Who I kind of I kind of enjoy that we don't see him. Yeah, it's like kind we of, don't. It's need kind of cool. To. No, we don't. But at the same time, like I really liked Phyllis at first. She seemed kind of fun, and she hasn't really changed. But I guess as we've been exposed to more mm-hmm. of her, mm-hmm. <clears throat> we've seen more of her behavior. Most of which is negative, and most of which, like you said, is manipulative. And it's mostly directed at Mary, because Mary is the nice girl. Mary's a pushover. She's a pushover. She doesn't say no to anyone, not even Phyllis, who is her Uh. friend. Um, And, you know, we assume, and we will talk about this a little bit later, she's been socialized to be nice to people. Mm -hmm. She's the nice girl, and she um, accommodates everyone. And she certainly accommodates the men in her life, including in her professional life, as we will see shortly. Mm-hmm. But to be so accommodating to a to another woman who is clearly inconveniencing her mm-hmm. in it, it almost, it's almost like a stacked <clears throat> deck of cards of inconveniences to Mary mm-hmm. in like a five minute span. It's it's amazing. And it was still very much like we were discussing this, and it's still kind of. it's still kind of linked to her persona after something like the Dick Van Dyke show where she Mm -hmm. played like the perfect housewife. Absolutely. And this is, you know, many moons after, but not, she didn't have much in between as far as I'm aware. Like she did some movies. She did. And I don't remember when those movies were, if they were in between the Dick Van Dyke show and the Mary Tyler Moore show. And I don't remember quite when the Dick Van Dyke show ended, but mid-60s, I believe. Let's take a quick gander. Okay. And I know she did that interesting movie with Elvis, Elvis. where she played a nun with a full face of makeup. Um, well, the Dick Van Dyke show was 1961 to 1966. Okay. And this started in 19... So this was only four years after. Four years after, yeah. So it kind of does make sense that essentially she went from playing the perfect housewife... Who was a supplicate and accommodating and and all of those wonderful, you know, caricatures of what it is to be a wife. Yeah. And then now we have her in this capacity. And even in the first season, like, we are seeing all of this, you know, shift that she's unmarried and it's okay. That she's in a professional capacity of, of power and that's okay. Mm. Um, the men and the power. I think the power is on paper. Yes, more than it is actually in real life. Yes, because there's still Mr. Grant, mm-hmm. the boss. Exactly, but she's but she's still kind of fulfilling that, you know, domestic role as we see as the episode continues. Not long after, you know, Phyllis inconveniences her and talks her way out of giving her a lift to work after making her late for work. Mm-hmm. <sighs> But she um, she gets to work and she's now 15 minutes late. And because she's 15 minutes late, late there is no coffee made. Mm-hmm. And the men don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And Lou asks Ted, hey, can you make some coffee? You know how to work this thing? Sure, give me a dime. Because no, they I, think it's a, it's a machine that you that put you, a dime in and you get a coffee. And hey, coffee comes out great. It doesn't require yeah, any no. labor or effort at all. There's no practice to this. And Mary walks in and Lou says, you're 15 minutes late, which means I haven't had my coffee. Will you make some damn coffee? Like, ah. It's so, it's so It's so archaic. It's so archaic and it's so, and and there isn't even a conversation about, hey, make your own damn coffee. No, she just does it. It's expected. 
It's expected of her to go ahead and make the coffee. And we really see in this episode that kind of, that while this was a groundbreaking show for its time, and even though the first season isn't, uh, isn't as regarded as the others, it's, it's still so much of its time Mm -hmm. where you can have these little, you know, sexist microaggressions from your boss where there's that expectation that, well, making the coffee is women's work Mm -hmm. and that's something that you should do. And even asking Ted to do it is like, well, I don't know how to do it. And even Lou's like, well, I have no idea. And it's like, how, why would I be bothered with knowing how to make coffee? I have more important things to do, like being a man and scratching my crotch and spitting and being vulgar. Murray, is the coffee ready yet? No, not yet, Lou. No coffee. We usually have coffee by nine o'clock and it's already, it's, uh, how come it's always the Minneapolis clock that's on the blink? Maybe because that's the clock we use all the time, Lou. (laughs) I mean, if the Tokyo clock stopped, who'd notice? (laughs) I need coffee. He almost made sense to me. (laughs) Does anybody here know how to work this machine? I can do it. Uh, Where do you put the dime? It's not that kind of machine. Well, then I can't do it. Good morning, everybody. Hi, Mayor. Mayor, do you realize that if the Minneapolis clock was working, you'd be 15 minutes late? Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Grant. Don't apologize now. Go make coffee now. You can apologize later. Coffee, right, right. Hi, Ted, I'm glad to see you. Coffee, coffee, coffee. Coffee, coffee, yes. Does anyone have a dime? Uh, see? (laughs) I needed to open the cabinet. The handle's broken. (laughs) But it's not even... And it's interesting how that whole little scenario plays out that she comes in and she's very competent and she makes the coffee and the joke about, well, can I have a dime? Mm-hmm. And the dime is because the handle of the fridge to get the coffee out is uh, is broken. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she's on the ball, she gets things done and there's no, there's no irony behind it. There's nothing at that point that to us, the audience says, you see, men are useless. You just have to take it as, as this is, this was... This is a vignette of 1970. Yes. This is very much what was normal at the time. Yes. And so Mary asks Ted if he'll do the, if he'll, you know, do the show. And of course he's useless, which we know. And we see Murray kind of taking the piss out of him, which is always wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's probably one of my favorite male Murray's, characters. Murray's great. He's great. Murray's he's good. he's supportive of Mary while they can kind of take the piss out of each other and have mm-hmm. and, and joke around, but they mm-hmm. still support each other. And at the same time, he kind of jumps in anytime Ted's being a doofus or Lou's being a doofus and points it out and kind of puts a big old mirror yeah. in front of their face. Yeah. And he does that for Ted here and then agrees to write a speech for him because, of course, he can't speak otherwise. And then he goes and does the talk. It's the evening. Mary's at home. She's doing her nails, relaxing at home as people are wont to do in their homes. And Phyllis comes in. And she's pissed. Yes, she and, is. And first starts off with, why didn't you warn me that he's no good at public speaking? And Mary's like, I did. I did. I told you. I actively said, this isn't a good idea because, and you wouldn't listen to me. But then she very quickly pulls it back and, well, well I, I, what happened? I'm terribly sorry. And takes responsibility for it, right? And then we find out what happened. Enter the fragile ego. And it's a shit show. It's a shit show. He did. So he did his little talk and finished his script and everything was fine until someone asked a question. 
And the first question was whether or not Ted Baxter is for or against women's liberation. Which sounds like such a quaint, archaic question. Yeah. Just even the phrasing. Are you for or against? Yeah. It's not even are you a feminist? No. Or do you believe in feminism? No. Or what is but your fem- opinion on feminism? The word feminism, I think, wasn't... It, I don't know that was even out there yet. Women's lib but was women's still the dirty lib word was, du jour. Women's lib was the word. Yeah. And if you were a women's liber, you were a bra-burning, angry woman. Yep. And that was it. And that was it. So it's very one dimensional. Yes. So he panics and can't answer the question. Right. And kind of giggles to himself and says some unintelligible things and stands there and then asks if there are any other questions. And it goes on and it turns out that the the gist is that he's just incapable of of forming I original mean. thought. Yes. Which is one issue in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this completely derails him and he spends the rest of the episode a bumbling idiot who can't form a sentence, which is not a stretch considering what he already is. He's a bumbling idiot who, who can't, can't form a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> but now he's like screwing up words and, and getting a little dyslexic, which he isn't. But And they're getting hate mail in, <clears throat> in the newsroom from... From little kids on, you know, <clears throat> crayon, written in, in crayon, crayon, saying, my mommy and daddy will never watch your news again because it's an insult to my intelligence, <laughs> which is pretty funny. But it's, it's one thing to say that he's just a bumbling idiot who can't form a sentence. But the very fact that they frame that entire predicament around the question of women's liberation mm-hmm. is in and of itself kind of pointing at something. It would be very interesting to be able to speak to the writer of that particular episode to see if the question that was asked of Ted was a leading question to have a discussion, you know, to sort of color the whole episode about, is it about women's lib mm-hmm. or was it because it's, it's such a relevant question for a women's group of the day. Yeah. And this episode was written by Lorenzo Music. Who's written actually, many of the episodes. Who's written a lot of the episodes. And on top of that was also a pretty avid uh, voice actor. Mm. He was Garfield on the sitcom and was also on the real Ghostbusters as Peter Bankman for the first slew. But, you know, it just... It's a very interesting, deliberate choice. I think. You think? Yes. Okay. And I th- I'm not sure. Well, I mean, there's no way to know. No. Ultimately. Can you call Lorenzo Music, please? He's dead. Oh, crap. Yeah. So I can try, but, but I know. don't have... Don't you my- can cross that divide. Well, I don't have my Ouija board on hand. And you don't have... But uh, it's... We're Venkman. Re- I don't have Venkman. And it's no. almost Halloween as we're recording this, so maybe once the veil is a little thinner, right. I can, you know. Yes. But not a present. Not okay. right now, unfortunately. Okay. All right. Uh, so, it just, I, part of the, part of the fun thing, and sometimes the traumatic part of doing any kind of deeper analysis or film criticism or anything like that, is that, of the consumption of any kind of media is what the creators put into it. Mm -hmm. The other 50% happens with what we bring to it as consumers. That makes sense. And that's, you know, I've heard some filmmakers say that. Some still think, well, no, my intention 
artistic intent is all that there is in the production of and consumption of media. And that's not really true because mm. we do put things on the media we consume and we put different perspectives on it and, and our own takes. And looking at this from a critical standpoint, whether or not it was a deliberate choice on the part of Lorenzo Music to make that his question and knowing the other work that he's done in his sense of humor, my assumption is that he was simply thinking, of course the question would, that would derail him would have to do with women. Like, you know, I mean, from the get-go, the person who was supposed to speak, who was supposed to speak about sex, right. backed out because women make him nervous. Right. And Ted Baxter, who fancies himself, you know, man's, uh, ladies' man, man's man, man about town, uh, can't, you know, hold it together when women are asking him serious questions. Right. And then on top of that, you're dealing with this point in time when women's liberation was rapidly gaining traction, that the sure. myth of the bra burners was being proliferated. And you have all of these you know, supposedly strong female characters in this show. And I, I say supposedly with kind of a grain of salt. So it does strike me as... You think it's a deliberate choice? Whether or not it was a deliberately political choice, I'm not sure. But it was certainly... It was the perfect re derailing tool for Ted. Yes. It's okay. certainly I, an I, interesting... That I can understand. I, I, I could buy that. It's a, it's, it's a decision with interesting ramifications, whether yes. or not it was intended. Right. And that's, you know, part of what we now, get. Now, presumably there were many other questions afterwards. And there were, apparently. She, well, because what Phyllis says is there was an hour's worth of questions and about two words... Two, two minutes uh, worth of answers exactly. or something like that. So, yeah. So <clears throat> there wasn't um, there wasn't a lot that could have been the the opening question, but there mm -hmm. might have been many more. Whether related, we never find out whether they were related to women's lib or mm -hmm. to anything else for that matter. But I suppose if you were in a at a, at a lecture or at a at a speaking engagement and you had the WJM anchorman, mm -hmm. you might think that he has something to say about the world today. Because I believe that was the topic that they engaged him for. Mm -hmm. And are you for or against women's lib is a very timely question for the world today. Very. Yeah. Uh, so the fragile ego of someone like Ted, who is, e is all ego and very little of anything else. Yeah. There's, he's, he has no substance. He's all hot air. He's all hot air. Like completely hot air. And that's the whole persona that is portrayed in every episode. Yes. Really. Very consistently. Yes. And that's, you know, you kind of learn to love him for, you know, love him or hate him. That's, that's what he is. And he's mm -hmm. an honest, the character is honest about himself. Like he's written in such a way that he's always, he's consistent. He's always just that way. So you mm. kind of, you, it's hard to pick apart. He's not an out-and-out -out misogynist in any horrible no. ways. No, I think he's just so delusional about how women feel about him. Yes. And about how the public feels about him in general. Yeah. Because he's expecting fan mail all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whatever the clown's name is gets more fan mail oh, than yeah. he does. Which, and that's going to come up in, in a later episode when the clown, because the clown dies eventually. There's, there's an entire episode, and I don't really, because we haven't gotten there, 
but there's an entire episode where the clown dies and like Mary can't stop laughing at his funeral or something. It's it's like it's a thing. We'll get there eventually. Right. But yeah. oh, I do remember that. That yeah. was that was funny. We did see a, a, a little clip of that. We did. Yeah. Yeah, that was very funny. So we're dealing with all of this and Ted's fragility, and as the episode progresses, it's just the only thing that can save him is basically being told he's wonderful mm-hmm. by some random yo-yo organization <laughs> to give him a Man of the Year award for literally doing nothing. Just because the guy that they wanted to give the award to wasn't available. So Mary goes, ah, ha, ha, I know how to fix this. And Ted's ego, give it to Ted. And he's like, sure, yeah, why not? This would be great. And they give it to Ted, and all of a sudden he's making demands of Lou again. And he's like, great, he's back to his old self. Mm. You understand why I can't exactly thank you for that, but he's back to his old self. And Ted, of course, can't, not Ted, Lou can't thank Mary because Lou, being the boss, has to deflect all blame Mm. on all the bad things that happen in the newsroom on everyone else. And this particular event... Is Mary's fault, according to him. Mm-hmm. So essentially, she has to fix it, which she did. Yep. And now, and under normal circumstances, someone would say, "Thanks, thanks. You, you know, you, you, you covered, saved the day. You saved the day. You covered that really well. You, you, you made things right again." But Lou, in his little spiel about. Uh, what did he say? I don't have the reason I don't have a peptic ulcer is because I defer I blame. I defer blame. I defer to Murray. I defer to Ted. I defer to Gordy. And now I'm and deferring, now I'm deferring to, you. to you. Yep. And it's it's kind of tongue in cheek, but it's so anyone who has ever worked in any kind of organization will recognize that the, shit rolls downhill. Shit rolls downhill, and the <laughs> boss never takes the blame for anything, but will take the credit for everything. Uh huh. Yeah, it's and very this was nine yeah. to five. Yeah, very much, very much. And uh, and even though I like Lou and I think Lou is a is a good character, mm-hmm. this kind of thing, and it's not even misogynistic because he defers blame to underlings. Yeah. it's very. It's he's an equal opportunity offender. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And it and it doesn't even seem. It's just very typical of Bosses. that of that position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's. It's interesting and a little bothersome to have kind of the realization that Mary, while the feminist icon that she is, is also in this episode kind of proven to be a little, still very much a product of her time. Yes. It's like we were saying, you know, she went from being uh, Laura Petrie, Petrie, Petrie? Petrie. Laura Petrie on the Dick Van Dyke show to being Mary Richards. Mm-hmm. And, you know, went from being the perfect housewife to being a professional woman about town. And yet, in her professionalism, she's still very much, like you said earlier, Mom, she's playing the nice girl. She's playing the nice girl. She's, she's not playing. She is the nice yeah. girl. And I think she doesn't want to um, dispel that image mm-hmm. because it's an image that she's comfortable with. Mm-hmm. It's It's what suits her. She comes from... A nice family. And she's she's the Virgin Mary. Yeah. She's she whereas, you know, Rhoda's more Magdalene, but yeah. but yeah. it's you see in Mary kind of this representation of 
what the expectations of women still were at the time. Mm -hmm. That they are to, a little less that they are to be seen and not heard. Although the, you know, she is beautiful to look at and takes very good care of herself for that specific reason. And you can, that's, that's obvious. Mm -hmm. Not that that's a problem. It's not. But then you get into the behavior, and she doesn't even snap back at Lou when he basically demands that she, the associate producer, should be making all of the men coffee because they're incapable. Yeah. And it doesn't even, you know, she doesn't stand up for herself when Phyllis is walking all over her. And she doesn't tell this nebbish pain in the ass... Uh, publicist. Publicist, publicist guy yeah. to just go, go take a long walk off a short pier because yeah. he's wasting her time. She puts up with everyone's bullshit all of the time, all with a smile. Mm-hmm. And you can see her rolling her eyes off in the corner for yeah. the benefit of the audience, which is very nice. And but it's, you, you know, kinda, the humor. And you want to shake her. Yeah. You want to kind of say, girl, get a backbone. You can say no. You can say no. It is okay. And it was still very kind of funny at the time and it was the humor and it was 1970 right so the expectation was still that women are generally accommodating Mm -hmm. not necessarily with one another no and phyllis but with the men in their lives and that will put them ahead that men don't like outspoken women and men don't like women that say no and bosses are more reluctant to hire you if you're not willing to just say yes to everything and lord knows i've been in situations where i've worked for people who have you know, expected me to, would never have asked this of male colleagues, but have expected me to go above and beyond for either no extra pay or without any kind of a promotion or any extra kind of recognition. And mm-hmm. you break your back and you get nowhere in the end because they just know that they can dump on you. Yep. And that does have, and that happens to women. And again, I'm speaking from a privileged perspective of being a white woman living in, you know, the a very different in the world yeah and and a very different period of time absolutely where i have infinitely more rights than say even a mary richard would have had at the time absolutely yeah but it's it's really it is kind of frustrating and it's i think you're trying to put 2017 onto 1970 so you have to really remind yourself of of what time it was what time it was and but see and that still just makes me mad because it doesn't without putting 2017 on 1970 it still reminds me that in 1970 these things were happening and they were okay and teaching young women that well you make the coffee because you're the girl and you have to say yes to everything because you're the girl is so toxic i know and how much we still kind of do that even today. We do up to a point. But, but you know, you can't lose sight of, of the <clears throat> progress that has been made since then. Oh, yeah. Um, not, it's, it's nowhere near finished. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it ever will be. But in the interest of this particular show and this particular mm-hmm. episode, you do have to put it in the context of what it was like then. And... From the perspective of where we're looking at it, we can see, we can poke holes into it, you know, 20 times saying, wow, misogynistic, wow, sexist, wow, this, that, and the mm-hmm. other. And and they're all true. And I think this is one of the interesting things about doing the show the way we're doing it, that mm-hmm. we can highlight those things and mm-hmm. say, look at that. That's amazing. That wouldn't pass muster today in a TV show or in the real world. No. 
Although it does still sneak by, but so much less than it so ever much less. did. It's tiring being a woman. It's way more work. It's <laughs> it's waltzing backwards in high heels. Yep. Yep. Well, the men complain about doing it in flats. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. having to lead. Oh, God, yeah. they have to lead. Yeah. You know how hard it is to not lead? Yes. How much energy it takes to, to step back. God, that's, yes. such, that's such a beautiful allegory for everything that women have to deal with, that yeah. we are not expected to lead. Yes. And that, so, that in certain capacities, we have had to abstain and actively... Fo- Do you know how many times I go dancing with Bob and he has to stop me from leading? Like, we'll be, we'll be dancing. You're such a bossy girl. I, you, know, I you didn't prefer- get that from me. No, of course not. <laughs> I prefer, not bossy, but... Assertive. Assertive and confident. Yes. Yes. You're, you can't see me. This is radio, but I'm, I'm swelling a la Superman <laughs> for the, for the uh, microphone that you can't see me through. <laughs> but it's taken... No, think about this. You know, I, I grew up, so I was in high school in 1970. Mm-hmm. And all of this was my, you know, the, the background to my life, so to speak. And look what I produced. So mm. there is progress in the uh, world. Think about it that way. Yeah, that's a good, well, yeah. I mean, silver lining, right? Yeah. Just no more putting up with the Ted Baxters of the world and the Phyllis's no. of the world. And, you know, again, back to the fact that this was a 1970s comedy, a sitcom, mm-hmm. where the... Um, the characters are still relatively cartoonish and relatively yes. one-dimensional. Yeah. So they're so kind of bound to their conventions. It's, right. It's, it, it does evolve over time. And obviously when you look at sitcoms of today, they're much more complex. They're much more nuanced. And, uh, and the characters are, are more rounded, even mm-hmm. if they're jerks. Yeah. And I mean, and again, I've said this before. I will say it again. I'll probably say it many more times throughout the rest of this season. But we're still in season one. Yeah. So things are it's still, early days. Yes. Things are very one dimensional. They will continue to be one dimensional until likely next season. Okay. And then we'll see how things change I and develop. I am forward to seeing me too. all of it. Me too. I'm looking forward to not to to, to be, not scrat- to not pulling your hair out and going how could this be? Well, we've been pretty lucky. I haven't done that much with this No, season. your hair looks really nice. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> I've kept my hair firmly in my head, in my scalp, with the exception of, like, this episode, for one. Just seeing all of the little microaggressions everywhere really frustrates mm-hmm. me. But mm-hmm. we've, we've been pretty lucky that that's not been the case. No. And there has been some really excellent representation. So here's, you know, fingers crossed that we do get more of that as the, as the show continues. Again, I've said it before, I will say it again. It's just season one. We'll see where we go from here. People, stick with us. And next week on the show, episode 13, we will be looking at He's All Yours. Mary must deal with the amorous advances of WJM's obnoxious and very young new cameraman. I spoke too soon. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. see how she handles it. We will. The episode will be directed by Jay Sandrich and written by Bob Rogers. Whoever that is. With whom I am unfamiliar. But thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, As usual, you can find us on the Modern Superior Network. You can find us on all of the most, you know, frequented social medias. So on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at After All Podcast. 
And of course, you can email us at afterallpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on all major podcasting networks, but most importantly, give us a listen on iTunes, hit subscribe, give us a rating, <laughs> five stars, and write a little review. Tell us what you think about the show. Every little bit on iTunes helps, so please do go out there and tell us what you think and give us a rating. And tune in next week. Thank you.